Hello, and welcome to the Idiot Book Nook, episode 9. I'm Blazewing, my pronouns are she, her, and they, them. I am the Reading Dragon, my pronouns are she, her. I'm Lady Punnett, my pronouns are usually she, her, sometimes they, them. Right now, I don't know what they are. Cool. Gender's a construct. Absolutely, and it sounds like you're having a blob day. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. So, now for our <laughs> every episode disclaimer. We here at the Idiot Book Nook do not support the actions, views, or opinions of J.K. Rowling. We are simply Harry Potter fans who grew up with the books during important times in our life. For us, Hogwarts is and will most likely continue to be home. We do not condone the racist, transphobic, and anti-Semitic imagery that is depicted within the pages of these books. We would also like to mention, and I should probably add this to our disclaimer bit, that yes, this podcast and the discussions contained there within will contain spoilers. If yep. you have not read the Harry Potter books yet, this may not be the podcast for you. You may wish to revisit us once you have completed the book series, because it is hard for us to differentiate facts from all seven books and scale back to just one specific book. Because Unless we, you don't care about spoilers. Unless you don't care about spoilers. We would also like to mention that this podcast is 18+, plus because I have a horrible mouth, and because we are all adults here, and yes, there are times where we will make adult jokes. Rated M for mature. Yep. We'll go with that. <laughs> but with that... We bring you to the bulk and the meat of episode nine. Narrator, please take it away. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's or the Sorcerer's Stone. Narrated by the Reading Dragon, Blazewain 2010, and Lady Punnett. Chapter nine, The Midnight Duel. Harry had never believed he would ever meet a boy he hated more than Dudley, but that was before he met Draco Malfoy. Still, first-year Gryffindors only had potions with the Slytherins, so they didn't have to put up with Malfoy much. So he didn't. So they didn't have to put up with Malfoy much, or at least they didn't until they spotted a notice pinned up in the Gryffindor common room that made them all groan. Flying lessons would be starting on Tuesday, and Gryffindor and Slytherin would be learning together. Typical, said Harry darkly. Just what I always wanted, to make a fool of myself on a broomstick in front of Malfoy. <clears throat> he had been looking forward to learning to fly more than anything else. You don't know you'll make a fool of yourself, said Ron reasonably. And anyway, I know Malfoy is always going on about how good he is at Quidditch, but I bet it's all talk. Malfoy certainly did talk about flying a lot. He complained loudly about first years never getting on the house Quidditch teams, never getting on the house Quidditch teams, and told long, boastful stories that always seemed to end with him narrowly escaping muggles in helicopters. He wasn't the only one, though. 
The way Seamus Finnegan told it, he'd spent most of his childhood zooming around the countryside on his broomstick. Even Ron would tell anyone who'd listen about the time he'd almost hit a hang glider on Charlie's old broom. Everyone, from wizarding families, talked about Quidditch constantly. Ron had already had a big argument with Dean Thomas, who shared their dormitory, about soccer. Ron couldn't see what was exciting about a game, about with only one ball where no one was allowed to fly. Harry had caught Ron prodding Dean's poster of West Ham soccer team, trying to make the players move. Neville had never been on a broomstick in his life, because his grandmother had never let him near one. Privately, Harry felt she'd had good reason, because Neville managed to have an extraordinary number of accidents, even with both feet on the ground. Mm. Hermione Granger was almost as nervous about flying as Neville was. This was something you couldn't learn by heart out of a book. Not that she hadn't tried. At breakfast on Thursday, she bored them all stupid with flying tips she'd gotten out of a library book called Quidditch Through the Ages. Neville was hanging onto her every word, despite for anything that might help him hang onto his broomstick. Despite... Let me do that sentence again. Desperate for anything that might help him hang onto his broomstick later. But everybody else was very pleased when Hermione's lecture was interrupted by the arrival of the mail. Harry hadn't had a single letter since Hagrid's note, something that Malfoy had been quick to notice, of course. Malfoy's eagle owl was always bringing him packages of sweets from home, which he opened gloatingly at the Slytherin table. A barn owl brought Neville a small package from his grandmother. He opened it excitedly and showed them a glass ball the size of a large marble, which seemed to be full of white smoke. It's a remember-all, he explained. Grand knows I forget things. This tells you if there's something you've forgotten to do. Look, you hold it tight like this, and if it turns red... Oh... His face fell, because the Remembrall had suddenly glowed scarlet. You've forgotten something. Neville was trying to remember what he'd forgotten when Draco Malfoy, who was passing the Gryffindor table, snatched the Remembrall out of his hand. Harry and Ron jumped to their feet. They were half hoping for a reason to fight Malfoy, but... Professor McGonagall, who couldn't, who could spot trouble quicker than any teacher in the school, was there in a flash. Going on. Malfoy's got my remember-all, Professor. Scowling, Malfoy quickly dropped the remember-all back on the table. Just looking. He said, and he slipped away with Crab and Goyle behind him. At 3.30 that afternoon, Harry, Ron, and the other Gryffindors hurried down the front steps onto the grounds for their first flying lesson. It was a clear, breezy day, and the grass rippled under their feet as they marched down the sloping lawns toward a smooth, flat lawn on the opposite side of the grounds to the Forbidden Forest, whose trees were swaying darkly in the distance. The Slytherins were already there, 
and so were twenty broomsticks lying in neat lines on the ground. Harry had heard Fred and George Weasley complain about the school brooms, saying that some of them started to vibrate if you flew too high, or always flew slightly to the left. Their teacher, Madame Hooch, arrived. She had short, gray hair and yellow eyes like a hawk. Well, what are you waiting for? She barked. Everyone stand by, broomstick. Come on, hurry up. Harry glanced down at his broom. It was old, and some of the twigs stuck out at odd angles. Stick out your right hand over your broom, called Madame Hooch at the front, and say, up! 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 Everyone shouted. Harry's broom jumped into his hand at once, but it was one of the few that did. Hermione Granger's had simply rolled over on the ground, and Neville's hadn't moved at all. Perhaps brooms, like horses, could tell when you were afraid, thought Harry. There was a quiver in Neville's voice that said only too clearly that he wanted to keep his feet on the ground. Madame Hooch then showed them how to mount their brooms without sliding off the end and walked up and down the rows correcting their grits. Harry and Ron were delighted when she could... Harry and Ron were... Harry and Ron were delighted when she told Malfoy he'd been doing it wrong for years. Now, when I blow my whistle, you kick off the ground hard, said Madame Hooch. Keep your broom steady, rise a few feet, and then come straight back down by leaning forward slightly. On my whistle, three, two. But Neville, nervous and jumpy and frightened of being left on the ground, pushed off hard before the whistle had touched Madame Hooch's lips. Come back, boy, she shouted, but Neville was rising straight up like a cork shot out of a bottle. Twelve feet, twenty feet. Harry saw his scared white face look down at the ground, falling away, saw him gasp, slip sideways off the broom, and... Wham! A thud and a nasty crack and Neville lay face down on the grass in a heap. His broomstick was still rising higher and higher, and started to drift lazily toward the forbidden forest and out of sight. Madame Hooch was bending over Neville, her face as white as his. Broken wrist, Harry heard her mutter. Come on, boy, it's all right, up you get. She turned to the rest of the class. Now, none of you is to move while I take this boy to the hospital wing. You leave those brooms, you leave those brooms where they are, or you'll be out of Hogwarts before you can say Quidditch. Come on, dear. Neville, his face tear-streaked, clutching his wrist, hobbled off with Madame Hooch, who had her arm around him. No sooner were they out of earshot, then Malfoy burst into laughter. <laughs> Did you see his face, the great lump? The other Slytherins joined in. Shut up, Malfoy! Snapped Parvati Patil. Ooh, sticking up for Longbottom, said Pansy Parkinson, a hard-faced Slytherin girl. Never thought you like fat little crybabies, Parvati. Look, 
said Malfoy, darting forward and snatching something out of the grass. It's that stupid thing Longbottom's grand sent him. The Remembral glittered in the sun as he held it up. Give that here, Malfoy, said Harry quietly. Everyone stopped talking to watch. Malfoy smiled nastily. I think I'll leave it somewhere for Longbottom to find. How about, uh, up a tree? Give it here, Harry yelled. But Malfoy had leapt onto his broomstick and taken off. He hadn't been lying. He could fly well, hovering level with the topmost branches of an oak tree, he called. Come get it, Potter. Harry grabbed his broom. No! shouted Hermione Granger. Madam Hooch told us not to move. You'll get us into trouble. Harry ignored her. Blood was pounding in his ears. He mounted the broom and kicked hard against the ground and up, up he soared. Air rushed through his hair and his robes whipped out behind him. And in a rush of fierce joy, he realized he'd found something he could do without being taught. This was easy. This was wonderful. He pulled his broomstick up a little to take it even higher and heard screams and gasps of girls back on the ground and an admiring whoop from Ron. He turned his broomstick sharply to face Malfoy in midair. Malfoy looked stunned. Give it here, Harry called. Or I'll knock you off that broom. Oh, yeah? Said Malfoy, trying to sneer, but looking worried. Harry knew, somehow, what to do. He leaned forward and grasped the broom tightly in both hands, and it shot toward Malfoy like a javelin. Malfoy only just got out of the way in time. Harry made a sharp about face and held the broom steady. A few people below were clapping. No crab and goyle up here to save your neck, Malfoy. Harry called. The same thought seemed to have struck Malfoy. Catch it if you can, then. He shouted, and he threw the glass ball high into the air and streaked back toward the ground. Harry saw, as though in slow motion, the ball rise up in the air and then start to fall. He leaned forward and pointed his broom handle down. Next second, he was gathering speed in steep dive, racing the ball and whistled in... Mm, racing the ball. Wind whistled in his ears, mingled with the screams of people watching. He stretched out his hand. A foot from the ground, he caught it. Just in time to pull his broom straight. And he toppled gently onto the grass with the remembral clutched safely in his fist. Harry Potter! His heart sank faster than he'd just dived. Professor McGonagall was running toward them. He got to his feet, trembling. Never in all of my years at Hogwarts. Professor McGonagall was almost speechless with shock, and her glasses flashed furiously. How dare you! Might have broken your neck! It wasn't his fault, Professor. Be quiet, Miss Petil. But, Malfoy, 
That's enough, Mr. Weasley. Potter, follow me. Now. Harry caught sight of Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle's triumphant faces as he left, walking numbly with Professor McGonagall's wake. Walking numbly in Professor McGonagall's wake as she strode toward the castle. He was going to get expelled. He just knew it. He wanted to say something to defend himself, but there seemed to be something wrong with his voice. Professor McGonagall was sweeping along without even looking at him. He had to jog to keep up. Now he'd done it. He hadn't even lasted two weeks. He'd be packing his bags in ten minutes. What would the Dursley say when he turned up on the doorstep? Up the front steps, up the marble staircase inside, and still Professor McGonagall didn't say a word to him. She retched open doors and marched along corridors with Harry trotting miserably behind her. Maybe she was taking him to Dumbledore. The thought of Hagrid, expelled but allowed to stay on as gamekeeper. Perhaps he could be Hagrid's assistant. His stomach twisted as he imagined it, watching Ron and the others becoming wizards while he stumped around the grounds carrying Hagrid's bag. Professor McGonagall, stopped outside a classroom. She opened the door and poked her head inside. Second. Excuse me, Professor Flitwick. Could I borrow wood for a moment? Wood? Thought Harry, bewildered. Was wood a cane she was going to use on him? But wood turned out to be a person, a burly fifth-year boy who came out with... Mm, a burly fifth-year boy who came out of Flitwick's class looking confused. Me, you two, said Professor McGonagall, and they marched up, and they marched on up the corridor, Wood looking curiously at Harry. In here. Professor McGonagall pointed them into a classroom that was empty except for Peeves, who was busy writing rude words on the blackboard. Out, Peeves! She barked. Peeves threw the chalk into a bin, which clanged loudly, and he swooped out cursing. Professor McGonagall slammed the door behind him and turned to face the two boys. Potter, this is Oliver Wood. Wood? I found you a seeker. Wood's expression changed from puzzlement to delight. Are you serious, Professor? Absolutely, said Professor McGonagall crisply. The boy's a natural. I've never seen anything like it. Was that your first time on a broomstick, Potter? Harry nodded silently. He didn't have a clue what was going on, but he didn't seem to be getting expelled, and some of the feelings started coming back to into his legs. He got that thing in his hands from a fifty after a fifty-foot drop dive, Professor McGonagall told Wood. Didn't even scratch himself. Charlie Weasley couldn't have done it. Wood was now looking as though all of his dreams had come true at once. Ever seen a game of Quidditch, Potter? He asked excitedly. Wood's captain of the Gryffindor team, Professor McGonagall explained. He's just the build for a seeker, too. 
said Wood, now walking around Harry and staring at him. Light? Speedy? We'll have to give him a decent broom, Professor. Nimbus 2000 or Clean Sweep 7, I'd say. I shall speak to Dumble Professor Dumbledore and see if we can bend the first rule. Heavens knows we need a better team than last year. Flattened in the last match by Slytherin, I couldn't look Severus Snape in the face for weeks. Professor McGonagall peered sternly over her glasses at Harry. I want to hear you training hard, Potter, or I may change my mind about punishing you. Then she suddenly smiled. Your father would be pr would have been proud, she said. He was an excellent Quidditch player himself. You're joking! It was dinner time. Harry had just finished telling Ron what had happened when he'd left the grounds with Professor McGonagall. Ron had a piece of steak and kidney pie halfway to his mouth, but he'd forgotten all about it. Seeker, he said. But first years never... You must be the youngest house player in about... A century, said Harry, shoveling pie into his mouth. He felt particularly hungry after the excitement of the afternoon. Wood told me. Ron was so amazed, so impressed, he just sat and gaped at Harry. I start training next week, said Harry. Only don't tell anyone. Wood wants to keep it a secret. Fred and George Weasley now came into the hall, spotted Harry, and hurried over. Well done. Oh, no said George in a low voice. Wood told us. We're on the team, too. Beaters. I tell you, we're gonna win that Quidditch Cup for sure this year, said Fred. We haven't won since Charlie left, but this year's team's going to be brilliant. You must be good, Harry. Wood was almost skipping when he told us. Anyway, we've got to go. Lee Jordan reckons he's found a new secret passageway out of the school. You bet it's that one behind the statue of Gregory the Smarmy that we found in our first week. See you. Fred and George had hardly disappeared when someone far less welcome turned up. Malfoy, flanked by Crabbe and Goyle. Having a last meal, Potter. When are you getting the train back to the Muggles? You're a lot braver now that you're back on the ground and you've got your little friends with you said Harry coolly. There was, of course, nothing at all little about Crabbe and Goyle, but as the high table was full of teachers, neither of them could do more than crack their knuckles and scowl. I'd take you on any time on my own, said Malfoy. Tonight, if you want. Wizard's duel. Wands only. No contact. What's the matter? Never heard of a wizard's duel before, I suppose. Of course he has, said Ron, wheeling around. I'm his second. Who's yours? Malfoy looked at Crab and Goyle, sizing them up. Crab, he said. Midnight, all right. We'll meet you in the trophy room. That's always unlocked. When Malfoy had gone, Ron and Harry looked at each other. What is a wizard's duel? said Harry. And what do you mean you're my second? Well, a second's there to take over if you die. 
said Ron casually, getting started at last on his cold pie. Catching the look on Harry's face, he added quickly, But people only die in proper duels, you know, with real wizards. The most you and Malfoy will be able to do is send sparks at each other. Neither of you knows enough magic to, to do any real damage. I bet he expected you to refuse anyway. And what if I wave my wand and nothing happens? Throw it away and punch him on the nose. Ron suggested. Hermione. But I'm just trying to find Hermione's. What what page are we on? I think I missed it. I uh, so on my end I'm on I'm at the bottom of page 122. Throw it away and punch him on the nose, Ron suggested. Excuse me, they both looked up. It was Hermione Granger. Okay. Excuse me. They both looked up. It was Hermione Granger. Can't a person eat in peace in this place? Said Ron. Hermione ignored him and spoke to Harry. I couldn't help overhearing you and Malfoy were saying. Bet you could. Ron muttered. And you mustn't go wandering around the school at night. Think of the points you'll lose Gryffindor if you're caught. And you're bound to be. It's really selfish of you. And it's really none of your business. Said Harry. Goodbye. Said Ron. Jesus. <laughs> All the same, it wasn't what you'd call the perfect end to the day, Harry thought. As he lay awake much later, listening to Dean and Seamus falling asleep, Neville wasn't back from the hospital wing, Ron had spent all evening giving him advice such as, if he, if he tries to curse you, you'd better dodge it, because I can't remember how to block them. There was a very good chance they were going to get caught by Filch or Mrs. Norris, and Harry felt he was pushing his luck, breaking another school rule today. On the other hand, Malfoy's sneering face kept looming up out of the darkness. This was his big chance to beat Malfoy face to face. He couldn't miss it. Half past eleven. Ron muttered at last. We'd better go. They pulled on their They pulled on their bathrobes. Really? Bathrobes or is it school robes? Bathrobes. Okay. They pulled on their bathrobes, picked up their wands, and crept across the tower room, down the spiral staircase, and into the Gryffindor common room. A few embers were still glowing in the fireplace, turning all the armchairs into hunched black shadows. They had almost reached the portrait hall when a voice spoke from the chair nearest them. I can't believe you're going to do this, Harry. A lamp flickered on. It was Hermione Granger, wearing a pink bathrobe and a frown. You! said Ron furiously. Go back to bed. I almost told your brother. Hermione snapped. Percy, he's a prefect. He'd put a stop to this. Harry couldn't believe anyone could be so interfering. Come on, he said to Ron. He pushed open the portrait of the fat lady and climbed through the hole. Hermione wasn't going to give up that easily. She followed Ron through the portrait hole, hissing at them like an angry goose. Don't you care about Gryffindor? Do you only care about yourselves? I don't want Slytherin to win any... 
to win the House Cup, and you'll lose all the points I got from Professor McGonagall for knowing about the switching spell. Go away. All right, but I warned you, you just remember what I said when you're on the train home tomorrow. You're so... But what they were, they didn't find out. Hermione had turned to the portrait of the fat lady to get back inside and found herself facing an empty painting. The fat lady had gone on a nighttime visit and Hermione was walked out of Gryffindor Tower. What am I going to do? She asked shrilly. That's your problem, said Ron. We've got to go. We're going to be late. They hadn't even reached the end of the corridor when Hermione caught up with them. Hold on, when Hermione caught up with them... I'm coming with Bottom of 124. I'm coming with you, she said. You are not. Do you think I'm going to stand out here and wait for Filch to catch me? If he finds all three of us, I'll tell the truth and that I was trying to stop you and you can back me up. You've got some nerve, said Ron loudly. Shut up, both of you, said Harry sharply. I heard something. It was a sort of snuffling. Mrs. Norris, breathed Ron, squinting through the dark. It wasn't Mrs. Norris. It was Neville. He was curled up on the floor, fast asleep but jerked suddenly awake as he crept nearer, as they crept nearer. Thank goodness you found me. I've been out here for hours. I couldn't remember the new password to get in bed. Keep, uh... We don't know who that is. Uh, I'm going to guess it's Hermione. Mm -hmm. Go for it. Keep your voice down, Neville. The password's pig snout. But it won't help you now. The fat lady's gone off somewhere. How's your arm? Said Harry. Fine said Neville, showing them. Madame Pomfrey mended it in about a minute. Good. Well, look, Neville, we've got to be somewhere. We'll see you later. Don't leave me, said Neville, scrambling to his feet. I don't want to stay here alone. The Bloody Baron's been passed twice already. Ron looked at his watch and then glared furiously at Hermione and Neville. If either of you get us caught, I'll never rest until I've learned that curse of the bogies Quirrell told us about and used it on you. Hermione opened her mouth, perhaps to tell Ron exactly how to use the curse of the bogies, but Harry hissed at her to be quiet and beckoned them all forward. They flitted along corridors striped with bars of moonlight from the high windows. At every turn, Harry expected to run into Filch or Mrs. Norris. But they were lucky. They sped up a they sped up a staircase to the third floor and tiptoed toward the trophy room. Malfoy and Crab weren't there yet. The crystal trophy cases glimmered where the moonlight caught them. Cups, shields, plates, and statues winked silver and gold in the darkness. They edged along the walls, keeping their eyes on the doors at either end of the room. Harry took out his wand in case Malfoy leapt in and started at once. The minutes crept by. He's late. Maybe he's checked out. Ron whispered. Then, a noise in the next room made them jump. 
Harry had only just raised his wand when they heard someone speak. And it wasn't Malfoy. Sniff around, my sweet. They might be lurking in a corner. It was Filch, speaking to Mrs. Norris. Horror-struck, Harry waved madly at the other three to follow him as quickly as possible. They scurried silently. They scurried silently toward the door, away from Filch's voice. Neville's robes had barely whipped around the corner when they heard Filch enter the trophy room. They're in here somewhere, they heard him mutter. Probably hiding. This way! Harry mouthed to the others, and, petrified, they began to creep down a long gallery full of suits and full of suits of armor. They could hear Filch getting nearer. Neville suddenly let out a frightened squeak and broke into a run. He tripped, grabbed, grabbed Ron around the waist, and the pair of them toppled right into a suit of armor. The clanging and crashing were enough to wake the whole castle. Run! Harry yelled, and the four of them sprinted down the gallery, not looking back to see whether Filch was following. They swung around the doorpost and galloped down one corridor, then another, Harry in the lead, without any idea where they were or where they were going. They ripped through a tapestry and found themselves in a hidden passageway, hurtled along it, and came out near the charms classroom, which they knew was miles from the trophy room. I think we've lost him, Harry panted, leaning against the cold wall and wiping his forehead. Neville was bent double, wheezing and sputtering. I told you, Hermione gasped, clutching at the stitch in her chest. I told you. We've got to get back to Gryffindor Tower, said Ron. Quickly as possible. Malfoy tricked you, Hermione said Harry. You realize that, don't you? He was never going to meet you. Filch knew someone was going to be in the trophy room. Malfoy must have tipped him off. Harry thought she was probably right, but he wasn't going to tell her that. Let's go. It wasn't going to be that simple. They hadn't gone more than a dozen paces when a doorknob rattled and something came shooting out of a classroom in front of them. It was Peeves. He caught sight of them and gave a squeal of delight. Shut up, Peeves. Please, you'll get us thrown out. Peeves cackled. Wandering around at midnight, tickle firsties, tut tut tut. Naughty, naughty, you'll get caughty. What if you don't give us away, Peeves, please? Should I tell, uh, should tell Filch I should? Said Peeves in a saintly voice, but his eyes glittered wickedly. It's for your own good, you know. Get out of the way, snapped Ron, taking a swipe at Peeves with, mm, taking a swipe at Peeves. This was a big mistake. Students out of bed! Peeves bellowed. Students out of bed down the charms corridor! Ducking under Peeves, they ran for their lives right to the end of the corridor where they slammed into a door. And it was locked. This is it. Ron moaned as they pushed helplessly at the door. We're done for. This is the end. They could hear footsteps. 
Filch running as fast as he could towards Peeves' shouts. Oh, move over! Hermione snarled. She grabbed Harry's wand, tapped the lock, and whispered, Alohomora. The lock clipped. The lock clicked, and the door swung open. They piled through it, shut it quickly, and pressed their ears against it, listening. Which way did they go, Peeves? Filch was saying. Quick, tell me. Say please. Don't mess with me, Peeves. Now where did they go? Shan't say nothing if you don't say please. Ah, uh, please. Said, said Peeves in his annoying sing-song voice. All right. Please. Nothing. <laughs> Told you I wouldn't say nothing if you didn't say please. <laughs> and they heard the sound of Peeves whooshing away and Filch cursing in rage. He thinks this door is locked. Harry whispered. I think we'll be okay. Get off, Neville! For Neville had been tugging on the sleeve of Harry's bathrobe for the last minute. What? Harry turned around and saw quite clearly what. For a moment, he was sure he'd walked into a nightmare. This was too much on top of everything that had happened so far. They weren't in a room as he they weren't in a room as he had supposed they were in a corridor the forbidden corridor on the third floor and now they knew why it was forbidden they were looking straight into the eyes of a monstrous dog a dog that filled the whole space between ceiling and floor. It had three heads, three pairs of rolling, mad eyes, three noses twitching and quivering in their direction, three drooling mouths, saliva hanging in slippery ropes from yellowish fangs. It was standing quite still, all six eyes staring at them, and Harry knew that the only reason they weren't already dead was that their sudden appearance had taken it by surprise. But it was get but it was quickly getting over that. There was no mistaking that those thunderous there was no mistaking what those thunderous growls meant. Harry groped for the doorknob. Between Filch and Death, he'd take Filch. They fell backward. Harry slammed the door shut, and they ran. They almost flew back down the corridor. Filch must have hurried off to look for them somewhere else, because they didn't see him anywhere, but they hardly cared. All they wanted to do was put as much space as possible between them and that monster. They didn't stop running until they reached the portrait of the fat lady on the seventh floor. Fat lady. Which is, which, ugh, stupid phone. <laughs> One moment, please, as we deal with death technical difficulties. Earth, have you all been? 
she asked, looking at their bathrobes hanging off their shoulders and their flushed, sweaty faces. Never mind that. Pig snout! Pig snout! panted Harry, and the portrait swung forward. They scrambled into the common room and collapsed, trembling into armchairs. It was a while before any of them said anything. Neville, indeed, looked as if he'd never speak again. What do you think they're doing, keeping a thing like that locked up in the school? Said Ron, finally. If any dog needs exercise, that one does. <laughs> Hermione had got both of... Mm. Hermione had got both her breath and her bad temper back again. You don't use your eyes, any of you, do you? <laughs> she snapped. Did you see what it was standing on? The floor? Harry suggested. I wasn't looking at its feet. I was too busy with its heads. No, not the floor. It was standing on a trap door. It's obviously guarding something. She stood up, glaring at them. I hope you're pleased with yourselves. You could have gotten us you could have gotten us all killed, or worse, expelled. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to bed. Ron stared at her, his mouth open. No, we don't mind, he said. You'd think we dragged her along, wouldn't you? But Hermione had given Harry something else to think about as he climbed back into bed. The dog was guarding something. What had Hagrid said? Gringotts was the safest place in the world for something you wanted to hide. Except, per perhaps, Hogwarts. It looked as though Harry had found out where the grubby little package from Vault 713 was. And that ends chapter 9. And can we just talk for a moment about how these grown-ass adults that are hiding something from one of the most powerful dark wizards of all time locked the door that can be opened with an Alohomora spell? Yeah! I have a theory for that. I have a few theories for that. First thing I want to talk about, though, is the fact that Hermione Granger was able to use Harry's wand to cast a spell successfully on the first try. Yeah, like Donny the fuck. Donny? I mean, what? <laughs> Second theory. I think it's more than just, like, a locked door. Because think about it. Fred and George Weasley are very much about causing shenanigans. And they are third years now? Um... Uh... So, fifth, when so. Harry was in fifth year, they were in, I believe, their last year because they said they didn't want to stay or something like that for their last year. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yes, they would be third year at this point. Yeah. They're in third year right now. They know the Alohomora spell. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. I think for anyone who has seen Encanto or have seen like the TikToks or the, the trailers, I think Hogwarts is very much alive, as proven in the previous Agreed. chapter, how it keeps moving. Mm hmm. I think that similar to how Casita listens to Abuela and Mirabelle, that Hogwarts school listens to Dumbledore. So he told Hogwarts, if Harry Potter comes to this door, open. Uh, Paulina froze. One second. Technical difficulties. No, Paulina. That was rude. Sorry. Anyways, 
I think that Dumbledore told Hogwarts, hey, if Harry comes and he, like, does something to open it, like lockpicks or a spell, open. Interesting. So, basically, well, anything to do with Harry? Hey, no, just let him through. It's Harry. Basically, so basically what you're saying is Dumbledore is giving, is giving Harry basically unfettered access to the castle. Because, I mean, let's not beat around the bush. I don't care what anyone says. Hogwarts itself is alive. It is at least somewhat sentient. You've got the Stone Guardians in Book 7. You've got the fucking moving staircases. You've got the passages that seem to lead to nowhere. You've got the room of requirement. It's not sentience as we know it, but it's still sentience. Hogwarts is a tame mimic. I mean, theoretically, oh. yes. <laughs> what could have happened was, bear in mind... I mean, let's let's face it. The math for J.K. Rowling is terrible. Mm -hmm. But at the very least, if we go by events, Merlin went here. So for yeah. all we know, when it was first made, it probably was a lot like Casita. And it could respond to the students. And it could do all this stuff. I think that Hogwarts is just getting really, really old. And mm -hmm. it, it went from being very proactive to very passive. Though mm -hmm. I think what happened was when they were running and stuff, Hogwarts was slowly leading them there because one it knew harry has to go see fluffy eventually and two i think it was trying to make so that filch wouldn't find them and it's like hey filch won't look behind the locked door mm -mm. so the, what the if, castle what if was they... effectively trying to protect harry ron and hermione mm -hmm. yeah. unless by the time filch actually got to where they went into the door he filch couldn't see the door because remember sometimes the castle will hide doors so what this if the true. door was hidden by the time filch got there so basically the castle's at a point now where it's like eh, i don't really give a fuck but this is important <laughs> yep uh tyrion phoenix it's... says the whomping willow aka the beating willow yep i also would like to think that it also has to do with uh, people actually giving magic to Hogwarts. Because mm -hmm. I think, personally, it's a give-and-take relationship. So I don't... I think as time went on, people have kind of forgotten, hey, Hogwarts is sentient. We have to give it attention. Mm -hmm. So I think people haven't been talking to Hogwarts. They talk to the paintings. They, like, say, ow, if something hits them. I don't think they talk to it. So, I mean, by the time the next generation of millennials come in and how we apologize to inanimate objects, I think that would give it more power. Oh yeah, I'm su I'm su I'm suddenly starting to feel really bad for Hogwarts for the school. Right, <coughs> it keeps getting hacked and like stuff like that. And well, that would also explain why Hogwarts, if it is sentient, d couldn't do anything about the basilisk. It doesn't have mm -hmm. enough power to do so. The most it can do is damage control and make it so it doesn't go to like really really big areas where students are we're gonna mm -hmm. get into that in book two but there's actually something there that i want to touch on is the fact that the basilisk was in the sewer pipes yeah when what if easily from the chamber of secrets it could have come up through the drains Mm -hmm. I'm thinking Hogwarts kept it specifically in the sewer pipes and tried to trap it there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But started losing its power when uh, shit was brought in. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so there's something I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Quote uh, from Neville. 
It's a remember-all, he explained. Grand knows I always forget things. This tells you if there's something you've forgotten to do. Look, you hold it right like this, and if it turns red... Oh. His face fell, because the remember-all had suddenly glowed scarlet. You've forgotten something. This is one of the things I like between the books and the movies, because <laughs> if you watch the movies, Neville's sitting in the Great Hall with the remember-all in his hands, and it starts to grow crimson. And you look around, everybody else is wearing their school uniforms, and Neville's wearing muggle clothes. Yep. He forgot his school uniform. <laughs> and also, no one bothered to say anything. I would like to point out one little thing. We it's not it doesn't describe uh how Malfoy was expressing when he takes the remember all. I think Malfoy was curious. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. he's not used to asking to look at things. Agreed. He's a spoiled brat. He's an only child. Yep. So he's used to like because I think full well he's just, like, wondering what the fuck it is. Because I don't think his family, who would push all these expectations on you must remember everything, yeah. would know what remember all is. Yeah. Um, Hello, Ferret. Hello, Ferret. Interesting theory. If that's true, then consider the effect that the two world wars would have had on the next gen of children. Yes. Absolutely. 100%. Mm -hmm. um, Which another reason why it, maybe it started to lose more and more of its sentience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Until the millennials come in and start apologizing to the inanimate, ob the, the inanimate objects in Hogwarts. The other thing for me, the remember all gl glittered in the sun as he held it up. Give that here, Malfoy, said Harry quickly. Everyone stopped talking to watch. So <clears throat> up until this point in his life, Harry has been bullied by mm -hmm. Dudley Dursley. Mm -hmm. Malfoy, let's not beat around the bush, is a bully. Yeah, he's a little shit. And Harry doesn't, from what we know, Harry doesn't like bullies, despite the fact oh. that he has a few moments himself where, yes, he ventures into that territory. Mm -hmm. But at the Dursleys, Harry isn't able to stand up out of fear of retribution and consequences. Here at mm -hmm. the school, there's no such restrictions on him, and he's starting to learn that. This is where he stands up to Malfoy and basically says, get fucked, hoser. Mm-hmm. When he finally learns he has a way of actually defending himself. This is him fighting back. This is him trying to fix things that he hasn't been able to fix all throughout his childhood. Mm. And the fact that it's Neville. And considering what we find out about Harry and Neville later on in the series, this is a mirror situation of Harry possibly defending himself mm -hmm. against a bully. Yep. <laughs> Uh, Tyrion Phoenix says, guess we'll see what that's like in the next couple months. Yep. Northern Whisper says, if Sirius didn't get arrested and Harry lived with him with Harry's parents' money, could he become like a magical Batman? I mean, theoretically. Yeah. And if uh, Sirius even introduced him to muggle culture. Because bear in mind, mm -hmm. the main reason Harry lived in the muggle world was so he wouldn't get a big head. And as much as we all love Sirius Black, we know he's very pig-headed, and yep. although he would want Harry to have a normal life, I think that still would have rubbed off on Harry, and I think Harry would have become a bit arrogant. Yep. And let's not forget that Sirius, between books and film, he is a little bit of an enabler. Mm-hmm. Can we... Well, we, we also see that in book five, near, near the end, during a really significant event when Sirius slips up and uses Jane's name. When talking mm -hmm. to Harry. Yeah, again, enabler. And can we just talk for a moment about the fact that Harry's got all of this money. He is 
probably one of the richest students at Hogwarts at this point, or he, at least he's got enough money to live comfortably. And yet, as time goes on and as the books go on, we see him spending all this time with the Weasleys. He's got all this money he's not doing anything with. And he doesn't say a word. He's if it was me, boy. I would have given the Weasleys every goddamn galleon in that vault. Right? Here's the thing, though. Uh, Harry, right now, probably isn't thinking about that. Because I think Harry is in a similar position I was when I was around his age. Where I had this um, naivety of the world that... Yes, sometimes people don't have as much money as I do, but everyone has enough money to at least get by. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. think Harry is under that same belief. And we don't, and yeah, he was like, because he only saw that his mom packed him a sandwich. To him, to Harry, that's like, that's love right there. Because the Dursleys, mm -hmm. sure, they packed him food. He, he never starved, but they didn't send him off with like something handmade to eat in the yeah. train. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think he knows the full extent of the Weasleys. Uh, assume poverty. I say assume because we know they're not as well off because they have all these kids, but I would also like to point out that they are well off enough that they are able to send each and every one of their kids to Hogwarts, albeit with hand-me-down stuff, but Hogwarts is a prestigious school and there's been math done of how long, how much it takes to send one mm -hmm. student there. They are well off enough, they can send all their kids, all seven. Fair. And let's not forget that the Weasleys are one of the... Um oldest wizarding families in the wizarding world and they are a pureblood family and uh what what is that group called again um in the wizarding world what the sacred 28 yeah the sacred 28 i think it i think the weasleys are one of the sacred 28 northern whisper says what if the jersleys found out about the money you guarantee you're guaranteed harry wouldn't have access to that for long like garen fucking teed uh mm -hmm. ferret says the jersleys would be like here's a lunchable make it last yeah. Let me let me to do point something out though. Uh Harry does and that's a good point. I wanted to bring that up previously. This also explains like the hate that Harry got because they got no compensation for Harry. Like even if you get like foster kids, the foster system still pays you like bare minimum mm -hmm. amount to cover the child. To our knowledge, they didn't get that. Petunia mm -hmm. didn't even get like a stipend because at the very least, she should have been made regent of Harry's accounts. Mm -hmm. I mean, for all we know, silent ally Petunia was made regent. She just didn't touch the money because she wanted to make sure Harry had enough in case something went terribly wrong. Yeah, or like if any dark wizards found out where they lived and Petunia met the same fate as Lily. Mm -hmm. Or maybe she did take out like just enough so that Harry had food we know he wasn't provided new clothing but at the very least they never seem short on food yeah so according to the harry potter uh wiki uh, harrypotter.fandom.com because again pulling all of my information from uh, pulling a lot of my information from there there's not a lot here uh, give me one second oh actually yes there is my bad i just forgot to scroll down the sacred 28 were, according to the author of Pure Blood Directory, widely believed to have been cantankerous not, the 28 British families that were still truly pure blood by the 1930s. So this would have been even during uh, Grindelwald's time and uh, the whole Fantastic Beasts series. The Sacred 28 comprised uh, the families of, get this, 
Abbott, Avery, Black, Bolstrode, Burke, Caro, Crouch, Folly, Flint, Gaunt, Greengrass, Lestrange, Longbottom, Macmillan, Malfoy, Knott, Ollivander, Parkinson, Pruitt, Rosier, uh, Raoul, Selwyn, Shacklebolt, Shafiq, Slughorn, Travers, Weasley, and Yaxley. Hey, Weasley's on the list. Um, also, I just received a Snapchat from one of her friends, uh, Miss Blistar, yes. and she had brought up a very good point about the Weasleys and what, and one of the things about why they would not have taken Harry's money, even if they did know about it, mm-hmm. because they're, um, they are a family that take care of their own and take care of the ones that they care about no matter what financial situation they are in mm-hmm. however they will not they would not have accepted harry's money to begin with because that would have been an act of charity and they weren't about to take anything that they didn't exactly earn if i understood bliss correctly. so i i do get that um and i do understand that entire point but at some point you have to you, you, at some point we have to look at the fact that Molly Weasley treated Harry like family like one of her own kids she in a lot of mm-hmm. in a lot of instances she treated Harry better than her own kids yeah. <laughs> I think that was because she was overcompensating cuz i think she here's the thing i think i think that in Molly Weasley's mind's eye she had an idea of what Harry Potter should look like yeah when he was 11 years old and i think saw at the platform wasn't it that she saw this brawny scared little kid who and she's like no and what i mean Mm -hmm. what mother doesn't have kind of a vision of what their kids should look like at some point Mm -hmm. um but uh, like she treated harry better than some of her kids uh better than her kids at some point Mm -hmm. let's not pretend like any one of us sitting here in that situation have with us having been brought up like harry and with somebody like molly weasley stepping in we've got all this money and she's kind of she's living all right i mean not necessarily comfortably but they usually always have food on the table and a roof over their head let's not pretend like we wouldn't actually just say no you're fucking taking it and i don't want to hear anything about it and if you argue with me i'm just gonna find a way to leave it to you anyways Mm mm-hmm I think Harry would do that eventually. I think the issue is he doesn't know how because Fair. once again, no one is telling him he's a lord. Fair. Pretty much. Ferret says but... 1930s, that would be when the silent gen kids were going to Hogwarts. And yes, yep. yes, it would be. Uh, reason I bring that up is because no matter how hard the wizarding world may try to be separate from the muggles, world events like the Great Depression would have had an effect. And yes, 100% they would have. That was a pretty much, I don't want to say it was just an American thing because it wasn't. It was generally a worldwide thing at, at one point. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's totally a thing. Mm-hmm. That was some decent discussion. Oh yeah. I'm I'm liking that. So... I like how this chapter filled in a lot more details mm-hmm. than the movie did because yes, while in the special features and the deleted scenes, there is a little bit of what was in the book in the second film, not as much as what the film uh, as what the book fully describes. Like they didn't in, in the movie, Neville was not really there. 
he 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 was a background character in the movie. In the books, he yeah. takes a much more prevalent he takes on a much more prevalent role. Mm-hmm. 100%. I don't know if I accidentally misspoke about saying this was second book. We were in first book. Did I misspoke misspeak about I what I book we were in? Not th- okay. Uh, I not not that big of a deal honestly. Like I've got so to put it into perspective, we've outlined the book for the beginning of the podcast at the beginning of this episode and at the beginning of every episode. But for the YouTube videos and for the Twitch stream, I've actually got an image of the book that we're working on down in the bottom uh, left-hand mm-hmm. corner. It's literally big. It's blown up. It's right below the scrolling chat that I've got there. So mm-hmm. if you did, it's not that big a deal because people are going to know what book we're on. Mm-hmm. So... I'm thinking that for the discussion portion, this is going to be a good place to end it. Mm-hmm. Give me one second, because I would like to discuss a thing here once we wrap up the podcast episode. Just bear with me for one moment mm-hmm. while I switch back and forth, because I'm actually going through the book on my tablet today. So mm-hmm. so I'm going to drop our socials in the chat here. And for those of you that are on, um, uh, that are listening to the podcast... If you'd like to follow us on any of our given projects, or you would like the link to the podcast, or you would like to visit our website, you can find Lady Punnett on TikTok at paulina.avalon. You can find me on Linktree at linktr.ee dot slash blazewing2010. You can find The Reading Dragon on Linktree at linktr.ee slash thereadingdragon. You can find our podcast hosting site at anchor.fm slash idiot-book-nook. And you can find our website, if that's your flavor, at idiotbooknook.wordpress.com. We have a resources section on our website where we are going to hopefully at some point be adding things like our fan fictions that we read or that we like or background information that we think you might find interesting or other little tidbits and gems. We're still trying to figure, figure out how that resource section is going to work. Um, I would also like to point out, and I forgot to mention it last episode, was Green <laughs> Phoenix says, meanwhile, Blue Dragon also part-times as a flight attendant. So for those of you on the podcast, since you can't see, when I go through that spiel with our socials and whatnot, Reading Dragon here sits here and shows off people live on the stream, like uses the hand gestures like fucking Vanna White and shit. And uh, like flight attendants do, and just all sorts of hand gestures. Uh, yeah, it's a thing. Um, I also forgot to mention last episode that if you would like to, if you're part of the podcast or if you listen to the podcast and you would like to leave us messages, you can actually go to anchor.fm slash idiot book nook and you can leave us audio messages. You can record a message for us. You can send us messages at, I think it's idiotbooknook.g uh, at gmail.com, but you can leave us vocal messages on our anchor. And we can then play them here live on stream. And if we get enough feedback and we get enough uh, people leaving comments and whatnot for the podcast or even just for the the Twitch here, there is a chance that we may just spend an episode going through listener feedback that we may basically effectively talk to you in real time without actually talking to you in real time. And we would have an entire episode dedicated or an entire episode or two dedicated just to that. So we are looking for viewer feedback. We want to know if you guys are enjoying things. We want to know that, you know, we're putting out something of worth and value for you guys. We enjoy doing this and we want to, we're we're hoping you guys are getting enjoyment out of that. And we would love to hear from you. So please let us know what your thoughts are. 
Um, we want to help build this around the idea of community and we want community involvement. And yeah, that's pretty much it. So for episode nine of the Idiot Book Nook, I am Blazewing. I am the Reading Dragon. I'm Lady Punnett. And we will see you in episode 10.